In 2018, Cranfield Alumni held its annual conference at HSBC in Canary Wharf, London. The conference theme was Inclusive Talent Management Towards a New Norm. This podcast is the edited presentations of the fourth session called Embracing the Next Generation of Talent. How different are they? So people are beginning to expect more flexibility. Work-life balance has become more important. The kind of approach to the talent programme from them was, okay, we need to kind of get different types of people in. Okay, great, they're in, bye, we're off, kind of thing. And there wasn't really that focus on inclusivity in their culture. Really thinking about entry-level roles that you have, designing those roles to grow and flex and enabling people to follow their passions in a number of different ways. This session was led by Professor Emma Parry, Professor of Human Resource Management, Group Head of Changing World of Work and Director of Doctoral Programmes at Cranfield School of Management. The session also included Alexandra Goat, CEO of Liberty, and Hannah Owens, Programme Manager at Liberty. Let's hear from Professor Emma Parry. Okay, I'm just going to talk very briefly about what some of the problems are, just to give you a little bit more understanding. So there's a few things, because firstly, the idea of generations or the theory makes sense. Okay, so this is based on the idea that we all grow up and our values, our attitudes, our expectations are shaped by the context that we grow up in, so by our experiences. And that makes sense, doesn't it? And this is true to some extent. We know that people develop their values in around their teenage years and that the context they grow up in has an influence on that. The evidence is much more mixed, though, as I said, for this idea of these kind of step changes between generations at the points that we talk about them. So actually the evidence that there is a difference between people that were born in 1982 and people that were born in 1981 is very mixed and actually very inconsistent. And some of this is because, actually, most of the research looks at age. We take a group of people and we say 50-year-olds are different from 20-year-olds. Don't we know that? You know, don't we all change in what we want as we get older, as we move through life, as we get married, as we have children? You know, we have different expectations and different preferences. So we know that things change as we get older. And the research we have at the moment can't actually distinguish between the two. So that's one of the problems. The other thing that the research does is it presumes that these differences are universal. So what it does is it says that, okay, so we've got these four generations in the workforce at the moment, baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, and just beginning to come into the workforce, Generation Z or the alpha generation. And we say that those generations are sound regardless of where we are. Okay. And for me, the idea that you'd have the same generations in China and India and Russia as you would in the US or the UK, doesn't really make sense. So there are a few problems there. However, one of the things I want to spend a bit of time on is just thinking about what is useful out of this. Because what we do know is that attitudes are changing over time. So people are beginning to expect more flexibility. Okay, We've seen that over time. Work-life balance has become more important. Okay, So we do have an increased emphasis on that. We do have this need for immediate and continuous feedback. Okay? So when I was younger, as a member of Generation X, I think we were called the microwave generation because we wanted everything quickly. Now we have, I think, the smartphone generation or, you know, 
And we seem to be named after whatever technology is there at the time. But this, you know, it's about wanting things now rather than waiting. And we can get it now, can't we? You know, does anyone remember those times when you used to have those conversations with your friends and you couldn't remember a fact? You couldn't remember the name of an actress or something and you just couldn't find it out and you'd talk about it for hours and you'd have to wait until you could find someone that knew the answer. And what do you do now? Yeah, you get on your smartphone and you Google it. I'm never quite sure if that's more fun or less fun, actually, but that's changed for all of us. There is more emphasis, as we've talked about a lot today, on diversity and inclusion. There's also more of an emphasis on meaningful work. So we know that actually people going into the workforce today and joining the workforce today want a job that they can make a difference in. You know, we know that that's increased over time. But actually, again, that's increasing for all of us. Incidentally, that's not instead of salary and hierarchical progression, but as well as. We also know that people are becoming more individualistic. There's a real emphasis on focusing on who you are as an individual and tailoring rewards and so on in HR to the individual. We have a real emphasis on voice and participation. So when I was a child, it was all about being seen and not heard. 20 years later, it's all about being seen and heard. You know, both in education and parenting. So that's driven a change in what we expect in organisations. And of course, on social media... You know, we can be heard, or at least read, all the time we can have our point of view. And that has an impact on what we expect in organisations. And finally, just to pick this loyalty thing off just for a minute, we do know that actually job moves are increasing, or they have increased over time. But this is not a lack of loyalty. It's also not a lack of desire for job security. Because actually, younger people entering the workforce want job security as much as anyone else. But what it is, is A, a recognition that actually they might not be able to get a job for life because obviously organisations are changing. And secondly, actually a willingness to leave if they're not getting what they want from that organisation. You know, so it's a real emphasis on being marketable and developing your skills so you can move if you have to. But that's not the same as lack of loyalty, of course. So these are the things that are changing over time. But this is not a sudden change. Okay, this is a trend So what we see is that they are changing, but the evidence suggests long-term trends, not step changes. And we'll see that these things will continue into the future. And unless something drastic happens... So the last time we had a real step change, I think, was probably between veterans and baby boomers in the generational kind of makeup, And that was because we went into a world war and had a depression, the Great Depression. You know, it was a shock. Okay, so just to wrap that up, I think the message that I want to leave you with before I pass on to these to make some practical sense of this um, is to say that, in my opinion, generational differences in terms of one group being different to another are very overstated. We know that people like to categorise. It's easy for us to think of categories. But actually, talking about millennials as being very different from Generation X or X being different from baby boomers, or Z being different from Y, is really not going to cut it, according to the evidence. We know attitudes are changing over time, but we don't see this step change. And I think that's really important to say. I think it's also important to say here that what I'm not saying is that there's no value in this at all. At the moment, we don't have enough evidence about this, and the evidence we do have is flawed. But the evidence we do have suggests this continuous trend not that things change dramatically between one generation of the other. And the other thing that we see quite categorically is that, you know, we can't go and talk about millennials if we're talking about people that were brought up in China or India or a different country. 
because it just doesn't work, um, because they haven't lived through the same experiences. And actually, we can't really talk about the same groups if we're talking about men and women, or different ethnic groups, or different social classes. You know, and we know that there's actually more heterogeneity within generations than between. So that's also worth thinking about. You know, we really need to think about differences at a more detailed level than thinking about these categories. Okay, that's my, that's my, I don't know what that is, it's a rant for um, 15 minutes. Um, and I'm going to pass okay. over to my colleagues here, Alex and Hannah. Is this working? Is this one working okay? Thank you. All right. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Emma. Um, and as Emma said, I'm really grateful for her to inviting us here today. I'm Alex. I'm the CEO of Liberty. And as a very kind of broad introduction to us, we are a youth-led creative network that helps young people change the world. And that world encompasses everything when it comes to young people and youth audiences. And obviously a huge part of that is uh, education, their careers, employment. And so one of the things that we've been doing a lot of work over the last five or six years with is directly with young people, how they ready themselves for the world of work, but also how the world of work readies themselves for young people coming in to their businesses as young future change makers, young future leaders. And we do that with brands like Dyson and Sky through to the Met Police and the RAF from a future talent, from a diversity perspective. So hopefully some of the work that we're going to talk you through and some of our thoughts and recommendations here are very much based on the practical work that we're doing with all of those different kinds of organisations and by surrounding ourselves with young people all day, every day. And I'll let Hannah, you introduce yourself as well. I'm Hannah, so I'm a programs manager at Liberty. Um, so for clients that Alex mentioned, I will carry out our talent programs and campaigns. Um, at the moment, I head up one called Digify, and that is a talent program with an objective to increase representation within the creative industries. And we've partnered with quite a lot of brands and advertising agencies on the program, and it's been running for about three years now brands such as Sainsbury's and Google and the latest one, Sky. And the thing that's quite unique about that programme is it's two months training with us at Liberty and then a six-month placement all paid, but we don't judge on CVs, so it's task-based. And we've seen amazing people and results, so I'll try and incorporate some of that through there. But And also I was on it, so <laughs> I was on the first one, so I'm biased, but yeah. Great. So, I mean, I think it's really, it really interesting to build on Emma's points and hopefully that's what we are doing here. I think across the work that we do, I would really echo that sentiment. I don't think that there are specific, you know, year-to-year generational differences between young people and we very much talk about life stage, which, as I say, some things stay the same no matter what age you are and some things are influenced by um, the external world around us. But I think, you know, there's been so much documentation in the world of HR around millennials, but obviously those of us who are involved in bringing people into the workforce now, we're actually talking about Gen Z, so we'll add another acronym in there. Um, but and they're you know, young people traditionally typically born after 1995. So they are a generation who don't know what life was like before 9-11, always experienced the economic downturn. There is a huge amount of insecurity that's surrounding young people that are growing up in the world and entering the world of work today. And I do think that does have an influence on on some of the choices and some of the aspirations that that they have as a group. So, Hannah, I kind of structured this. I'm going to do a little bit of the kind of theory and and actually pass on to Hannah for some of the experience, both from yourself and also from the experience of the programmes that you run. So, Hannah, you came on our first Edify programme and then went into quite a large organisation, and I just wondered if you would be happy to share your experience of first entering that kind of organisation for the first time. Um, Yes, I'll do a personal one, and then I'll relate it back to our programme. So... 
I went off, obviously, the talent program, and there was 10 of us into a large advertising agency. So there was about 900 people there. Probably about 820 were white. And they were all from the same kind of background. And that's not a bad thing. That's fine. In terms of the way I was treated, I was never really discriminated against. But I think the kind of approach to the talent program from them was, okay, we need to kind of get different people, different types of people in. Okay, great. They're in. Bye. We're off kind of thing. And there wasn't really that focus on inclusivity in their culture and there wasn't really an acknowledgement of the kind of anxiety just being different can bring somebody in the workplace if they're not getting discriminated against just everyday kind of working life and something that a lot of young people on our programs experience from different social classes from different races people with different abilities experience in workplaces is actually that tokenism so you'll be on a project and someone will say okay we need a young person's opinion what do all young people think about this thing so then you're like whoa now I have to represent the whole of this kind of demographic because I am what do urban people think about this and you're like oh my god now I have even more weight on my shoulders and I can't actually be myself I can't just be myself like and that I think gets underestimated a lot with people that we work with and it's something that with a lot of our clients we look at their culture and we work with them about just creating those inclusive spaces and collaboration um, and kind of not making it a tokenistic thing. So I guess that's the kind of experience on that one. And yeah. Thank you. One of the next things that Emma picked up on was around the need for flexibility. And I think that has meant a lot of, um, you know, I had an internal people role for a number of years in another organisation and that meant flexible hours. It meant that if you're a mum returning to work, you might work an hour earlier or an hour later. And there's a general, I think, understanding in larger organisations that flexible hours are accepted now. But actually, that isn't necessarily what flexibility means to young people coming into the world of work today. It's from flexible hours, really, to, to flexible roles. And that might feel quite daunting and quite scary. But I think... You know, lots of these ladder up to that point around job security and and investing in people and talent for the future. But there's an amazing amount of different array of of skills that people have when they haven't been conditioned to doing just one job for the last 10 years in a silo. So actually really thinking about entry-level roles that you have, designing those roles to grow and flex and enabling people to follow their passions in a number of different ways. And I think as a specific question to Hannah, but um, one of the things that we talk to people around a lot is helping people embrace their side hustle. And an example is for a a large kind of entertainment business that we have done a lot of work with. And they said, well, we can't have a side project because everything needs to sit within the legal structures. But actually, there's a lot of different... So that means that their legal structures are set up. So they actually... Nobody can run any sort of project. No one can have anything that has an income stream attached to it that isn't part and owned by the company. And I think that in itself is a real talent drain. So, like, I don't know how many people would know the phrase, a side hustle. No, okay, right. Well, Hannah, so uh, this leads nicely on to my point. What, what is a side hustle and, yeah. and how have you seen your peers sort of thrive or leave the industry because of it? Yeah, I don't have a side hustle actually anymore. You just but, work really um, hard at Liberty. Yeah, I just work really hard at Liberty is everything now. I used to, and my friends do, and we do inductions every Thursday for our space at Liberty, because if you're under the age of 25, you can come in and use our space for free anytime. When these people introduce themselves to us in the office, they're like, yeah, I study economics, but I'm also a photographer, or um, I just graduated, I work in retail, but I do a blog, or I'm this and I'm that. So I think the best kind of definition is 
something you're passionate about that you do alongside everything else and you might not get paid for that and I think young people are constantly being told like oh there's a skills gap or like you might not be able to get a job because it's really tough out there so they're kind of doing this like DIY thing on their own just to upskill themselves and I think if you're then going into a workplace that doesn't appreciate that or doesn't let that flourish you're obviously not going to be as satisfied as if a workplace looked at you holistically So we did some work, actually. A good example is with Nando's. They have a really good initiative called Bring Your Outside In. So for junior employees in the restaurant, they actually let them bring their personal passions into work so people who are interested in fashion can design like the new uniforms year on year. People who are interested in video production can work on the internal videos and the external videos that they kind of make as a company. And the job satisfaction there for the junior employees is really high. So we run our own survey, but it's also in Glassdoor and everything else. So, And it's just because they kind of cater to the person as a whole. You don't want to be leaving your outside self completely outside when you're going to work. So I think um, a lot of the aspirational companies and brands, Google, Facebook, they kind of have this thing where you can learn and grow as well as doing your day job. So I think like people will leave if, you, if they're kind of not getting that. People are already kind of leaving, so I think it does work towards retainment. And, and also, you, you lose out loads as an organisation for not having people that can actually bring lots of that in to your organisation every day. Yeah. Uh, and again, another, another point to build on, but I think there is a shift from, like, it's brilliant to give people a platform, but, like, that platform doesn't need to be heard, otherwise it feels very, very disingenuous. A case in point here today, Emma very kindly asked me to speak, and I would never want to speak on behalf of anyone that is coming into the world of work now. So that's why Anna is, is much, much more effectively communicating what I'm talking about today. But I think there's some really practical things, again, from that point of helping elevate young voices and young dynamic change makers and people who are going to be leading those organisations in years to come. I might end on reverse mentoring, actually, but to the point which was around line management, support and coaching. And there has been, I think, lots of work done, especially from diversity initiatives around really, really senior level acknowledgement that this is an issue and buy into it. And actually the big challenge is around helping line managers feel like this is something that they can support and thrive and actually this is beneficial to them in their career rather than a threat. So there's, I think there's an important point here around coaching middle management. And also enabling people, we've seen it work really, really well, is enabling people across the organisation from different levels to um, collaborate on projects. Ogilvy, the advertising agency, we don't do any work with them, but they have a a group called Ogilvy Roots, which is actually bringing all people from ethnic minorities together and actually there's a position of influence as a whole that they have within an organisation, which I think is a really interesting approach. And one specifically that we're working on with Sky is around reverse mentoring. So Hannah, I might just ask you to elaborate a bit on that. People on Digify that went to Sky, so there's 15 of them, and actually another 10 that just went in last week, they've all been paired with senior members of staff in Sky, so managing directors um, and chief execs. And basically, this is to just carry out mentoring sessions, and it's not like a golden ticket that's like, oh, this person is now going to give me the whole insight to everything I need to know about people who are maybe different to me but it is about spending time with people who have a different attitude to you who are approaching business challenges differently and seeing how you can learn from each other so it's more of a beneficial mentoring session than just a more senior person telling a younger person this is how it should run and I think for Sky it's been particularly effective because the kind of cohorts we're sending in there are their future audiences Mm. so it's it's kind of had an impact there. Another thing we did with them actually was 
they gave the people on Digify a Sky News brief alongside their kind of digital strategist permanent team. And they worked parallel doing the same brief and they just checked in at regular touch points and what happened was the people on Digify kind of went way over with their own ideas kind of left and but the people on the Sky um, digital strategy team kind of stayed within the Sky boundaries and when they met at the touch points they were able to actually make something that was met in the middle that was really different and it felt different and it felt like it's obviously made an impact there because they're actually going to implement it so it was just refining both ideas together so it's not about saying like we're young people we know best but it is about saying we're open to hearing from different levels in the business to actually make impact so I think that was kind of the impact we're presently having there and one and one last one i think we talk a lot i don't know like in terms of brands and in terms of the world of work of what a sense of purpose is and i think again the evolution of this word around purpose and sense of personal agency it is always and it has always kind of been there and is increasing for all of us in different levels and and ages across the world of work but i think there is a very clear kind of marker here which is from understanding that business has a purpose to being part of making that difference and that is a shift again. And so I think, uh, you know, for us, what we do see is that there's a need to understand at a C-suite level that there is a commitment to change and a commitment to purpose and progress. But also, that is as well as finding the personal purpose in your everyday job, and that is those two things together mean that actually there is a really clear, tangible business purpose in the short and the mid and the long term. And Emma, you, you said this question, actually, since purpose is important... It's not any more important than salary security. So, Hannah, what, what do you think about that? Let me go to the first part of the question. Yeah. So, yeah, I think purpose is like action and accountability. So the agency I was saying I worked at, first of all, and I, I really, I learned a lot there. I did like it. But basically their purpose was to make work people care about. And I was like, that's a nice purpose. But I didn't know how they actioned that. Mm. So therefore I couldn't align myself with it and I couldn't get on board with it. And I guess at Liberty not just saying that because I work there now and she's my CEO, but <laughs> their purpose their purpose is to impact the lives of young people positively and I can see the actions we do every day and the processes we have which make that possible. So I think it's just that kind of builds trust in your organisation and then builds loyalty. People are like young people are not loyal, but I think if you can align yourself with their purpose, you do become loyal and if you're on board with it. And I think it's alongside salary... <laughs> So nobody wants to work for free or be broke. Everybody's trying to get more rich, but it's alongside salary. And I think if you're just going after salary or job security, as you mentioned, there's so much uncertainty. Nobody's like, yeah, I want to have this job for 10 years. No, actually nobody I know that's my age is thinking like that. So it's definitely, I would count security out, but salary alongside salary, come on. Yeah. But I think purpose is leading the way and purpose is building the trust. Thank you, Hannah. That goes to my last point, and Emma and I kind of came to exactly the same points, writing slightly parallel presentations. But I think, you know, to echo Emma's point, it isn't about people being flighty and not wanting to think about the future or any of those things. I mean, the future is really uncertain. But I think for us, you know, really looking at those four key areas means that you, you are. If you, if you want to find people who want to come and you want to invest in their future and you want them to be part of your organisation in 10 years' time, those are the aspects. Helping people have a voice focusing on representation, focusing on a sense of purpose, are the things that actually will drive people to want secure and long-term jobs that they can thrive in those organisations. So that's it from us. Thank you.
This podcast on inclusive talent management towards the new norm is the edited version of the session Embracing the Next Generation of Talent. How different are they? You can find out more about inclusive talent management and Cranfield School of Management at cranfield.ac.uk forward slash SOM. You can also find out about Cranfield's alumni benefits at cranfield.ac.uk forward slash alumni.